Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. everyone, and welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Rebecca Schutz, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle. And today, we're all working from home. Nancy Sarnoff is taking the first shift homeschooling since all the kids are at home too. So we miss you, Nancy. We miss you, Violet. Today, we're doing a story about how businesses are reacting to the needs in the age of coronavirus. A clothing company is sewing face masks in lieu of monogrammable onesies. Distilleries are using the byproducts of alcohol to make hand sanitizer. As the novel coronavirus has reshaped demand for products from food to clothing, from medical supplies to toilet paper, businesses across Texas are scrambling to adapt. Companies that can find ways to meet the surging need for medical supplies, deliveries, and groceries will be able to keep their employees working while also serving society. And many are doing just that. We have with us today Michael Moss, one of the owners of Sweet Shop USA, which I understand is famous for its truffles and toffees, but which is now making face guards using materials from a supplier they usually turn to for chocolate packaging. Hi, Michael. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for joining us. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your company. Sure. We're a 49-year-old specialty chocolate manufacturing company. And when did you first start seeing the impacts of the coronavirus on your business? Yeah, so we were at the Fancy Food Show in California at the end of January, and California had just had their first case uh, the very week we were there. And it was soon after that when we returned home uh, from the Fancy Food Show that we began to see the community spread of the virus across uh, the western seaboard. Mm -hmm. And how does something like that impact the chocolate business? Well, we began to feel an impact when our West Coast retailers had to shut down to comply with the stay-at-home measures that their states were implementing, Washington State and California specifically. Those retailer shutdowns obviously affect our ability uh, to be able to sell chocolate to to our retail partners. So we began to feel the effects Mm -hmm. then. Uh, And then, of course, when the Eastern Seaboard uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut uh, began to have community spread. That's when nationwide our retailers uh, begin to temporarily close uh, to prevent the spread of the virus. Okay. So that would impact your orders. Correct. About the first week of March, we began to see a significant decrease in orders compared to prior years. And that's when we began mm-hmm. to... Um, think outside the box. And if we had, you know, I I run a factory that has about 100 to 150 employees. If we're not making chocolate, uh, I had a great desire to keep them working in some way. And that's what led to the inspiration of making the facial shields. And can you tell me a little bit more about that? So when we moved to East Texas, uh, Angie and I, my wife, um, ended up, uh, having many friends uh, in our neighborhood that are in the medical profession. And so as uh, the virus began to spread in the United States, and because of our relationship um, with so many medical providers, 
we felt like we were sort of on the front lines of knowledge anyway, as the spread happened and understanding that um, our frontline workers were going to have a shortage of PPE. Which stands for? Personal protective equipment. The face masks and other gear Correct. that doctors use to keep themselves yeah. safe. Yeah, gloves, shields, gowns. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, so that's what started um, our desire to find a way to help. And it was one day, uh, one morning, Angie and I were watching uh, the morning news and getting an update. And we saw nurses trying to make facial shields out of what appeared to be uh, kitchen plastic wrap. And they were doing it in their off time after their shift had ended in the break rooms. That's when I guess the inspiration hit me that at our chocolate factory, we have all the right vendors to be able to supply us with what we need to assemble facial shields. Uh, Many of our specialty chocolates that we ship all around the country are packaged in clear acetate boxes. And our plastic acetate vendor is located uh, in Brooklyn. And so I immediately called him that Friday morning, asked how much of my material he had on stock that would normally go to making boxes for our chocolate. And we quickly began to calculate how many facial shields we can make out of that. By the end of the day, I had a template designed. Uh, from our graphics department and had sent that to him. And within 48 hours, we had a first prototype. And then we reached out to our other vendors. Our ribbon vendor uh, that we normally get our ribbon from supplied us with some elastic. And our uh, packaging vendor was able to get us the foam that we needed for the facial shields. Um, And then, of course, our labeling vendor got us the labels we needed. And so all the primary components of the facial shields we already had vendors for. And when you started thinking about using what you already had in place to make and package chocolates and turning to face guards, which is used in the medical context, how easy or difficult did you expect that process to be? I probably underestimated it in the beginning, to be honest with you. Uh I expected it would be probably easier than what it was. What I underestimated was the demand that the plastic industry in the U.S. has on them right now because of all the takeout food orders that are happening. Takeout packaging has, yeah, it's really driven up the demand for plastic. Fortunately, we secured quite a bit of plastic at the very beginning of this idea, but now the elastics industry has tightened up. Many of the U.S. manufacturers that, that make elastic for the facial shields are completely out of stock and working extra hours just to try to keep up. And the lead time now is quite significant compared to what it normally would be. And is that because of the need for face masks and face guards or is the elastic also, is there also some other demand for it's, it? It's primarily the need for the facial shields and the masks. Interesting. So the unexpected challenge was... The supply sh- chain, you know, securing the necessary components to be able to assemble them. Is that supply chain, like are more plastics being manufactured? Is it increasing production down the line or is that taking some time? It's taking, it's taking some time. And I'll tell you the other concerning thing for me is that we've even reached out to our international partners for plastic and elastic. Mm -hmm. And because of the global spread of the virus, the global demand is up just as much as the domestic demand is. Oh, wow. So trying to get 
any sources offshore is almost as difficult and long of lead time as it is to try to find domestic vendors. And there's a lot of uh, new users of personal protective equipment that, you know, even three or four months ago uh, did not stock or have a demand uh, for such equipment. Uh, specifically, um, like our, our government employees, some of our nursing homes or home health hospice organizations, you know, personal protective mm-hmm. equipment wasn't as um, significant or in demand then with some of those agencies as it is now. And can you tell me a little bit more about the demand side? What has the demand been like? Yeah, far greater than what we could have ever imagined, to be honest. Um, we get calls and emails 24 hours a day from organizations wanting to purchase uh, facial shields. And right now, our lead time is is four weeks to get them produced. We are Any overproduction that happens on a daily basis, we set aside and ship to the most uh, the organizations that are most in need in the areas of country where the virus is most widespread, but the demand is it far exceeds what our expectations were. As all these orders are coming in, are you looking at like, well, this is where it's most needed? Is that what you're having to do? Sometimes we are. Some organizations are wanting to resell or distribute um, our facial shields, and at this time, we let them know that we're selling only directly to the front lines. Uh, directly to hospitals, healthcare organizations, uh, government groups, et cetera. And did you say how many you're making a day? Yeah. So we're hoping and planning to make uh, up to 200,000 a week. Um, We are on pace this week to come very close to that goal. So we have an early morning shift, a midday shift, and then we could add a third evening shift if we needed to. Uh, That's going to be dependent on how quickly we can get the supplies and components. At the current rate, the two shifts we're running can keep up with our suppliers. So if they found a way to uh, increase the supply of plastic and elastic, you could hire more people and produce more supplies. And as you know, time is of the essence. And we have medical workers right now being asked to clean or wash their disposable shields between patients. And even more concerning Mm -hmm. than that, some organizations we get orders from are down to their last facial shield that they're having to share. Um, we've had more than one buyer uh, break down in tears on the phone with us while they're ordering, just so thankful that they finally found some they could get. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's been a very humbling experience for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was speaking with your wife, Angie, she said uh, it sort of put her in mind of how people pulled together in World War II. Yeah, I'm sitting here at my desk across from a photo of my grandfather. He was a World War II veteran. And uh, he was a huge influence in my life. And I remember the stories that he and my grandmother would tell us growing up of what their families did to support the war effort, but what other manufacturers and businesses did to help with the war effort and how it brought the country together and how important it was for private industry to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're seeing that again. Yes, we are. And. Could you sort of describe what the factory looks like right now? What would it normally look like and what does it look like today? So we have a 14-acre campus with an 80,000-square-foot manufacturing facility. And in that facility, um, we're segmented off in about eight different work areas. 
One is uh, our kitchen. We have a caramel room operation. We have a dry warehouse. We have a shipping temperature controlled warehouse. We have a packaging department, a bulk packing department, a decorating department, a decorating dipping department. And um, right now what we've done is concentrated all of the chocolate production to the back half of the factory and converted the front half, which historically has been our packaging department, into manufacturing the facial shields. So now when you look across that room, it's about 20,000 square feet that we've dedicated to production of the facial shields. And when you look across that room, it's just a sea of uh, paper-covered tables. Uh, we change the paper out mm -hmm. every day um, because the virus has already been proven to um, s live longer on stainless steel uh, than on paper. So paper's changed out every day, and it's a sea of tables, and we practice six-foot social distancing for all of our employees. Their temperature's checked when they come in. They suit up uh, with hair guards, beard guards, uh, facial sh uh, masks, uh, facial shields, and a disposable lab coat. And what would you say the atmosphere is like? Is it different you know, than it usually is? It, it is. Mm -hmm. one, one great thing about chocolate is the chocolate industry is known for as, as being part of the candy industry as a whole. Candy and chocolate make people happy. So for the most part, a chocolate or candy factory is a great place to work. Uh, everybody's having fun. It's a, it's just a fun and upbeat uh, kind of food factory to be in. Mm -hmm. But making facial shields suddenly that, uh, that encouraging sort of work environment got much more serious. And not only now um, do we love what we're doing, but we love the fact that each shield that we send out could save someone's life. And that's just given us a great sense of urgency to, our, to the work that we do. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. Hopefully you're this can inspire other people to help as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, in fact, I was on the phone late last night with um, a group in Colorado. They're making plans now uh, to make the much needed N95 masks. And what do they usually do? Uh, the individual that reached out to us uh, works with churches and missionary organizations. And so many of the church buildings right now are empty because they can't have gatherings mm -hmm. that um, he had the idea to try to use uh, some of the church and ministry space in Colorado to manufacture N95 masks that are in such high need. Wow. Yeah. While we're here, I also just want to mention a few of the other businesses that are mobilizing to meet the need for medical supplies and groceries. Patty Inc., a children's clothing manufacturer, has begun making face masks and is in talks with the FDA to have them approved as surgical masks, which have to meet a higher standard. Distilleries, including rum maker Grateful Dane Distilling and Gulf Coast Distillers, have begun turning the byproducts of their liquor into hand sanitizer, which has become hard to find since the coronavirus spurred demand for cleaning supplies. Brothers Produce, which uh, you might remember from this podcast, they used to mainly distribute fruits and vegetables to restaurants, but now they're storing, delivering, and supplying produce for HEB. Grocery stores have been very busy since people are stocking up on supplies for their self-quarantines. And he has also started wholesaling produce directly to consumers which has spawned a whole new set of businesses, people who are buying the fruits and vegetables and milk and eggs in bulk to distribute to their neighbors. 
Restaurants such as the Italian Cafe Palazzo's have turned their excess inventory into bodegas, selling produce, meats, dairy, eggs, and even toilet paper to the public. And an event planning company named The Events Co., which has orchestrated lavish weddings, symphony balls, and events for heads of state. Um, In this age of social distancing, all those events have been canceled, but they have been setting up tents and providing food service personnel for temporary clinics and kitchens, which are suddenly in need. So thank you to all the businesses who are finding ways to help out while helping their employees. And thank you for your time, Michael. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. Looped In is hosted by me, Rebecca Schutz, and Nancy Sarnoff. We are recorded and edited by our podcast editor, Scott Kingsley. And we'll include a link to the story on how businesses are shifting to meet shifting demand in the show notes. If you don't already subscribe to Looped In, it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have an idea for a show or just want to say hi, I'm on Twitter at R.A. Schutz, that's S-C-H-U-E-T-Z, and Nancy is at N. Sarnoff. Until next time, thanks for listening.